This week we are joined by Richard Belzer. Richard currently resides in Chicago, Illinois. Richard grew up in Anchorage, Alaska and got his start in the industry, as many others, as a means to help pay for school. After working a few years in Anchorage, Richard had a desire to move to a bigger market and thus wound up in Chicago. We talk with Richard about functional sustainability between the bar and kitchen, difficulties in getting clients to try out cocktails, and his latest endeavor that he's currently working on, essentially cocktails on the go. Enjoy the show. We are back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. Uh, I'm Kip. This is Dan. What's happening, man? Not too much. Uh, Another day, another hangover, so, you know. Yeah, we uh, recorded two, we're recording two of these in a row, and uh, when I went for my morning run today, I just stopped because I thought I was going to throw up, so (laughs) (laughs) I was like, uh, (laughs) it's nothing like a middle-aged man throwing up on the street in the middle of the day it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> all class still acting like we're 19 yeah, yeah. so this should be good yes. um, uh, if you like the show then you should be checking out the archives at uh, the industry podcast and then you can tell us how much you love it by rating reviewing subscribing correct uh, shout out to Zach Hanna for the artwork that's at Zach Hanna design there Z-A-K there's a link to him in the bottom of the show notes as well and uh, yeah, we have uh, yet another great guest for you today, because that's what we do on this podcast. We have, from Chicago, Richard Belzer. Richard, how you doing? Doing good, y'all. How you guys doing? We're all right, man. Doing well, doing well. Trying to drink our way out of this hangover. I was going to say, the only <laughs> way to get out is to dive right back in, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, you're, you're in Chicago right now, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, how's the, what's the scene like there with the COVID situation? No, I, I think that seeing it like a more bigger perspective, Chicago does it pretty smart. I mean, a lot of, in most most places, they're only doing outdoor seating, um, indoors at very uh, limited capacity, um, kind of doing all the checks and, and balances as you would see in other spots, temperature checks, constantly sanitizing everything. Um, a lot of great places are just offering to go, and I know that a lot of people are taking advantage of that. Uh, but we just legalized cocktails to go, uh, you know, in, in May, so... Uh, you see a lot of places that are trying to uh, kind of take advantage of that as well, which is great. You know, it's a great platform. I know you mentioned that the uh, before we recorded that the um, bar you were working at had closed down. So are you currently working anywhere? Um, I'm not. Um, I Well, I, I kind of am. So I, I, while I was working at, uh, as a bartender at Bad Hunter, I was also a brand ambassador for Santa Teresa. Uh, oh, so nice. Part, part of, yeah, part of the party portfolio. So I still do that um, part-time. Uh, but I am... Uh, uh, unemployed in the in the bar realm, um, kind of purposely too. I think that, you know, you have a lot of bartenders, I'm sure, around the world that are just kind of maybe waiting for their time. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the meantime, I've been kind of trying to work on a, um, as well as a maybe like a cocktail delivery service, uh, uh, kind of like me and two other bartenders from Bad Hunter. We want to try to create this uh, kind of unique version of it. Um, we can talk about that later for sure. Okay. Um, and so, okay. So are there, have there been a lot of bars in Chicago that have been shutting down because of this pandemic or is that, uh, are, are most of them hanging on? Uh, I would say yes. Um, I mean, there's unfortunately it just, it, it's not even really for the business. It's a lot of landlords that just won't budge and I, mm-hmm. I, I, I get it. I, I get it to a certain degree, but you no, know, um, I don't think we've seen the end of it, unfortunately. I think that uh, we'll see some more closures coming in the next few months, probably till the end of the year. But there's some places that are hanging on, on, on a lighter note, you know, places that are just trying to do their best. And I know a lot of the neighborhood bars have really, like, low overhead that are they're, they're, they're going to make it. Um, mm-hmm. I know that some of the bigger, higher-end restaurant bars and just restaurants in general who, whether they're independent or part of a restaurant group, just can't can't hold on because of how expensive everything is but yeah i can imagine rents are pretty high there that's uh but uh we, i, I want to get into the whole chicago bar scene because it's like one of my favorite cities to go drinking in um so but we, uh, I, I just want to touch a bit on the brand ambassador thing you were mentioning we i don't think we've had anybody on the show who's done that yet so can you talk to us a little bit about um what it means to be a brand ambassador for uh spirit and uh, kind of what you do yeah of course um, so kind of what, I mean, your representation, not only of the brand, but of, of the overall umbrella company. So Santa Teresa is part of Bacardi. We've been working together for the last four or five years now. Um, but, uh, me as an ambassador on the field, you know, if things were normal is to kind of 
not only show the education of the spirit itself, talk about Venezuela, the history and kind of the ethos behind their platform, but also try to represent that in the Bacardi's ethos as well. And they have a partnership kind of also out, out of that. But, um, you know, I, I, I have a very like, uh, not Robin Hood way of doing the job, but I would say that like, I, I'm here to, to be a platform for help for anyone. You know, I, I work for a brand who is very successful and then, you know, to be very transparent, who, who has a lot of money. Yeah. And so if I can, you know, and that's what brand ambassadors do. They just try to make things work and ask forgiveness later. It's like, I want to be uh, the liaison of, of bars and restaurants, and bartenders, and people who may want to even put a foot in the door in the brand world or just be, may need help, you know, with supplies at their bar because they're new or they just don't know what they're, what's going on. Um, I want to do all of it. Um, so mm-hmm. essentially that's kind of what I, I try to do the best at. But currently with the pandemic, uh, you know, it's a lot of virtual things, a lot of digital platforms, but uh, kind of do kind of a similar, you know, seeing places, seeing people. All right. Cool. Um, so yeah, we've had a few brand ambassadors come through the bar. So do you do a lot of that where you go to a bar and kind of just do the education for yeah. staff? Yeah. You know, and I, I, again, like, I, I don't I, I don't want to be the brand ambassador that, you know, kind of push on to something that... They not even fit the program. I, I mean, I I try to do my best to to uh, to kind of go there and show support wherever I can. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of that, especially again like with the pandemic. I've been just kind of doing it from afar. You know, be calling the bar manager, be like, I'd love to buy. You know, the first 10, 15 people who come drinks and call a day. Right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay, that's interesting. Uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about how you got into the service industry. You started out in Anchorage, Alaska. Yeah, yeah. Crazy! I can't only imagine what kind of a scene is, what kind of bar scene is going on in Anchorage. Um, not a whole lot, you know. I always say that like Anchorage is a, I mean, it, is, it has a very like suburban feel, but at the same time, of course, it's Alaska in general is a huge tourist location, so. Everything you think when you think of Alaska, like nature and the outdoors, I mean, they, Alaska does beautiful at that. Um, and they, the representation of like the food and drink scene kind of kind of correlates that. A lot of heavy seafood places, a lot of places that are trying to, you know, kind of tie in with that kind of clientele. But not a lot of cocktail bars, um, tacos kind of still a little bit behind the times, but they're trying. You know, there's places, I think they've, they've in the last like three to four years, have definitely listened to their neighbors in the Pacific Northwest and kind of followed along. You know, there's like, I think like four or five cocktail bars downtown now. When, when I was there about five years ago, there was one. Uh, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. It's, I mean, any smaller remote town, it takes a little while longer to like, yeah. we're a smaller town, town just outside of Toronto. And I find that like trying to bring a new idea to this city is sometimes just like pulling teeth for people. Oh you know? my God. <laughs> right. I mean, the yeah. fucking thing is too, is that like, um, people, you know, you could try as hard as you can, but it, it's also like if your clientele doesn't want it or guests are intimidated with it, you kind of just have to listen. And so I think yeah. that's what we did for a while is like, we had just a classics menu. We didn't, we didn't do anything crazy with the cocktails. We just named Daiquiri old fashioned. And even some of that was like a little intimidating for people, but the bar still runs that way, and I think that was just like try to be the stable classic bar. Don't you know? Don't go too crazy. Right. Uh, and so you started though at like uh, a TGIF. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So uh, before I got into the, this specific hospitality industry, I was in coffee uh, before that, and then I had worked. Uh, yeah, uh, started at TGIF Fridays. Started as a busser, and just did the whole you know did the whole thing up. You know, I was a lunch server, you know, dinner server, bartender, and all that. Uh, but I, I have a very like, it's not uh, like deep love for TGI Fridays because I think maybe you can agree with me is that fundamentally they had a lot of things coming for the way of their trading when they first came out that I think applies to today. You know, like speed of service, mm-hmm. at, you know, measurement, accuracy, uh, the hospitality, even the flair. Yes, I mean, everyone thinks TGI Fridays they think flair, but uh, I think they were just trying to be like a bartender but that had fun. I think that was the goal of it. I mean, we never we didn't really do much flair back. Uh, the one that I worked at, but um, I learned a lot from TGI Friday. Yeah. I can, yeah, we have uh, we've had a few people who have been in sort of like Canadian, more to sort of Canadian versions of like that style of restaurant. And the one thing that they all say is like it really it's a great, excellent training ground to do what you want to do later in life mm-hmm. in the service industry. Like really teaches you step, like you said, steps of service and how to manage your time efficiently. Yeah. Hmm. 
so yeah, like I get it. And how long did you work there? I worked there uh, just just shy of four years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that's and then you worked your all way all all the way up to the bar. Now, uh, what point are you getting to the notion that maybe you kind of want to continue in the service industry as like a serious deal? Um, you know, I, I when I, when I was working, of course, there I was you know working to pay through college, and then I I I did the the one bar that I was that I used to work at, the cocktail bar downtown. I honestly just sat there because I lived not far from there for maybe a year, almost every day in the same spot. I like just kept going and enjoying the atmosphere, talking with the bartender, and, and didn't really think too much of it. This was like a, a place of you know decompression or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you know, a, after a year, he'd ask me, he's like, why do you keep coming here? I mean, I like it. You tip well, and you, you know. You, you know, you know what you're doing. I, I'm probably in the service industry, but why do you keep coming here? It's like, you know, man, I, I kind of want a job, but I know how to like ask for it. So I just came. Uh, and so we ended up um, working together and the restaurant was called Ginger. Uh, we worked together for another like for about four years um, and just, you know, kind of traveled together. We learned, we went to um, you know, all the cocktail conferences in the city or the country, like Tesla Cocktail, San Antonio. We tried to work on the apprenticeships of all those. And then eventually just, you know, we're like, this is clearly, this is like, this is it. This is what we're going to do. This is, this is, I had a, you know, the very, you know, underlying moment when I was like, this is the industry I want to be in. And so now we both live in Chicago. He actually ended up following me like six months after I moved here. And um, yeah. And just, yeah. Uh, been... What sparked the move to Chicago? Um, I think, you know, it was one of those things, uh, in, in Anchorage, I wanted to, I wanted to be challenged and I didn't think I could go like maybe right to New York city or, 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 or whatnot. But, um, San Antonio cocktail conference, as I mentioned before, was, a, a lot of my still friends to today, um, a lot of them lived in Chicago and, uh, mm-hmm. we had a couple people even outside of me and my, uh, my cohort who moved uh, from Alaska to Chicago as well. His name is Justin. And uh, Justin and I, we, uh, we had a lot of friends who were just like, Chicago's a great move, man. You know, I think that you'd, you'd be really you'd be really good in Chicago. I think you would love Chicago. It still has a very home feel. It's not, you know. And uh, that Hunter, you know, was actually opening maybe four or five months after I decided, you know, after we had this conversation of maybe moving. So um, I kind of started talking with the bar manager, and, and she was like, uh, yeah, I mean, if you move to Chicago, you have a job. And so I think that was definitely like the, the first, you know, checking off the box. Okay. So um, let's talk a little bit about the cocktail competitions. Um, we had uh, Levi Bixi on here. He was at Tales of the Cocktail, but we haven't had anybody else who's done that. And then talk to me. I don't even, I'm not even sure I'm familiar with the one in San Antonio. What kind of a, what kind of a competition is that? Well, it's a, it's another conference, just like Joe's like cocktails. So essentially, okay. there's like workshops and classes for consumers and people on trade. You have a lot of people, of course, in the industry around the world that will travel. Um, you know, like the last San Antonio, this previous before the pandemic, um, 2018 or in 2019, there was like you know Leah Robichek from the Nomad who did a speech, and and you know he had some international bartenders from like. Uh, you know, the Atlas bar in Singapore and whatnot. And, you know, I think they just, it's another platform to, you know, cause if you have a big one, like tells of the cocktail, you got to have little ones to kind of maybe be a little more intimate, a little, you know, more personable. Uh, but it's also one of the biggest funding events for the whole state of Texas. Uh, and specifically in the city of San Antonio, um, it drives a lot of business. And so, um, honestly too, it's a, it's a big party. So like, again, consumers kind of go in and enjoy the, Enjoy the free alcohol. Enjoy, right. enjoy even they don't even have to sit through the education part of it. But it, it, all in all, it's a great, it's a great experience for you know San Antonio. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you feel like you learned at these conferences? You know, at, at first, there's this. I think there's this idea of like not only camaraderie, but like you got a lot of these people who apply to be in these programs for the apprentice apprentice program, um, and they are from small towns, Anchorage, Alaska, Boise, Idaho, and and all this stuff, and maybe they just don't have. Toronto or like I mean, you guys can relate like Chicago right outside their door um, mm-hmm. so they kind of go to this to be like I'm in the industry I do well for the city I live in but I want to learn more I don't maybe I don't want to like just go out and move there I want to see if there's opportunity um, so they've kind of built a reputation to only not only do that of bringing people together who are like-minded but also too there's a kind of like a, a hierarchy you like work up so when you get to the apprentice program in both Tales of the Cocktail and San Antonio, 
you start off as a, a, a certain color of a coat, just like you would like, uh, you know, like the military. And then, you know, there's leaders that kind of run those people and then leaders that run those people. And it's just like a, you know, four or five step process. So you can apply again. And, and I think that's another thing that brings these people together back to the city is like, all right, I did it once to learn. Now I want to mentor someone else. I want to give the tools that someone gave me to someone else. And I think that it's an increasingly circle. I mean, I will say that there's also two folds. I think there's another side of it where people also do it just to be part of the popularity contest and also just like, mm. again, like meet up with their friends and check another box. But I do think that there's a lot of value in there. And I think there's a lot of value in the, the mentoring part of it because I wouldn't be where I'm at today without my mentors. I'm sure we all can say that out loud. Like, so I think that's, uh, you know, gives that resource. Nice. Um, okay, so you from there, uh, so you, you you land in Chicago and you're working at this place, Bar Hunter. Talk to me a little bit about what kind of place that is. Yeah, so Bad Hunter, um, when we first opened, uh, we were uh, we and we they, we were still our pretty much throughout the whole program, but it was a low ABV beverage program with like a veggie focused food program. So the kind of the, the uh, main idea was to use secondary ingredients or people or ingredients that people wouldn't think be primary and be that make that the focus so vegetables and then work around it so if we incorporated meat we incorporated meat in the way drinks like rather than making a cocktail whiskey based or gin based we looked at aperitivo we looked at you know uh fortified wines kinikinas tomorrow and then worked around it um try to drive the the different idea of thinking of a drink and in, in building and constructing a drink in a different way. Mm. Uh, about a year and a half in, um, our bar manager and my mentor ended up moving on. Um, and so it was me and another uh, bartender who ended up opening the program and kind of took his stead. And it's not that we didn't defer too far from the program, but we didn't want it to make it super low ABV in which we first opened, but we still use the same ethos um, of using like really ready, like in-season products, try to be functionally sustainable um, and um, kind of work on that again, like focus on ingredients that people just maybe didn't hear of every day. Um, worked with a lot of farms, both on the kitchen and the bar side. So I think that was another like platform to be able to highlight was like, let's see how much we can do and how much we can show support locally. Uh, in that kind of regards. So. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, give me an example of like an interesting cocktail you would have come up with there that used like sort of different unusual ingredients and even an unusual base spirit. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, so, you know, you, you got like the Singapore sling, uh, very like 15 ingredient cocktail. We kind of, we so we had this cocktail called the Italian sling uh, and it was like, um, it was basically an Amaro blend. Um, then we used uh, Nardini is a brand uh, that has an Amaro and has some, other like fortified spirits, but we use Nardini Tagliatella, which is like a, like a fortified wine that's like maybe like 30 to 45 percent. Um, and then um, we kind of just did that version of adding fresh pineapple juice and our cherry cola syrup. But it was like it was a it was still relatively low ABV, but it was an Amar. It was a very bitter version of the Singapore sling. Uh, I guess another one that I think was probably, probably our, our staple cocktail was the carrot cooler. Um, and we did like three versions of this drink. But the um, primary ingredient was um, another fortified wine. Uh, it was La Trucepanet, which is like a French, um, you know, French wine. And then we built around it, it was fresh carrot juice, um, pineapple juice. Um, it was tequila, banana liqueur, but it was hand and, and we use like uh, Jamaican jerk bitters on top of it as well to make it a little spicy. Oh, Hands down, from cool. day one, day one to like the the finishing caracula, people would still ask for it. I mean, it's a, it was also like an orange cocktail. It looked very pretty. You know, people go through the crowd like, what is that? Um, yeah, but yeah. what we ended up doing, um, and we did this with a couple cocktails, but we did like version 2.0 or 3.0. The last one I think we did was like Care Cooler 3.1.2. You know, like when you get an update, <laughs> yeah. like uh, when you have to do an update for your phone or yeah, your, yeah, yeah. You know, your operating <laughs> service. So we wanted to kind of like play around with that. But again, like we just try to work with as much as the kitchen was using. And when I, I think I talked about functional sustainability, we what we wanted to do in that regards is, is uh, we I know everyone throws the word sustainability out there, but um, you can 
almost make more waste if you if you don't find function for things that you're making. And so we try to do is like if the kitchen used strawberries, we use the tops to make a syrup. If the you know if the you know the pastry team used um, coconut because uh, we like whole coconut, maybe we do the shavings to fat wash whiskey. Right. Um, oh, wow. And so things that were like going to go in the you know compost, we'd be like, how can at least try. To do something with it, and it's not that we were successful every time. I mean, no, you, you try, you know, but yeah. you just try to like at least make the effort rather than being like, I'm going to be, you know, 100% sustainable all the time and do all these things. But if you don't function for them, or if also if they just don't respond well, um, then it doesn't really make sense because then you're just going to end up throwing it away. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a big believer in that as well. That's what we do at my bar too. It's like, well, the kitchen is pretty much almost non-existent for me right now. But like when we were up and running the kitchen, it's like you got to cross ingredient stuff. Like that's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just good to, for sustainability, as you mentioned, but it's great. It's like just for your bottom line. Like yeah. if you can eliminate so much of that waste and reuse the ingredients, then that's a, that's a major money saver for a small business. Well, I think, I think so too. I mean, you, you kind of touched on this. It's like, why are not, why we got to work together. I mean, the thing is mm-hmm. the kitchen, and the bar should always work together. If you've got a kitchen to some degree, because again, like, utilizing or cross-platforming on so many regards can not only save your costs, but two, it just, it builds better morale because I know that there's so many programs out there. There are just so many places where the the bar and kitchen is so divided. You know, people look at mm-hmm. the back of the house and it's like, they don't know anyone in the back of the house's name. You know, they don't speak with the dishwasher and then they just go make four times the amount of money that they do on the floor. And it's like, mm-hmm. if you have any regard to the people that you work with. And that's one thing I loved about Bad Hunter is that everyone knew everyone and everyone cared about everyone. I think that is like, I know that the pandemic was really awful for a lot of people and it's still awful, but I hope that like, you know, coming out of this, that people like take some more time and like really drive in what they care about. Uh, and two of just building better systems for people to all be equal in the, in the long run. Yeah, I think that I think that's an interesting point. Like, um, and we have spent a, a fair amount of time talking about that uh, subject on this show, where about the divide that can be created between the back of house and front of house in so many places. And I, I think that's an interesting perspective to have to talk about, like how even just using cross ingredient, um, uh, cross ingredients for the bar and the and the back of house can sort of unite you as a bit of a team in that fashion as well, right? Like, yeah. That's cool. I never th- actually I never thought about that, but that's a good idea. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit about the the cocktail scene in Chicago as well, because I, I found it interesting when you said that um, oh you didn't think you were ready for New York. Because as someone who's visited both places and always seeks out cocktail bars, I like I would put Chicago right on the same level as New York as far as what you guys are doing there. Like right. Um, when I first came here too, I, you know, I, I think that I think. The biggest thing is, like, from Alaska, any big city was intimidating already. I was, like, right. I had aspirations. If it wasn't Chicago, it might have been, like, Seattle or Portland. But um, since I went, like, right for Chicago, you're kind of right. Like, once I got here and then I see New York maybe shortly after, I was, like, it isn't as intimidating as people thought it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, like, talk to me about some of the better um, uh, cocktail places in cocktail uh, bars in Chicago because I know you have so many. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got you got to give credit to both Tiki Bars, Lost Lake, and Three Dots and a Dash are hands mm-hmm. down great. Um, you know, I know Paul McGee has definitely put platforms for both of those places, um, but both bar teams as well are just like hands down, super sweet, great people. Especially at Lost Lake too, they just they were very like similar representation to Bad Hunter. Everyone got along with everyone. Everyone built each other up. And there's a lot of people at Lost Lake that were nobodies like literally never done anything in the industry no coffee no busing no serving and now are some of the best bartenders i've ever seen so mm. love that bar um in the realms of cocktails i think volume 39 definitely gets like a big credit as well they're in the gray hotel uh, but they're very like mad men like kind of style bars so definitely like up, upper scale you know people gonna go there and they, they they feel like they need to be fancy but at the same time they they can just make you a great drink for the industry you know they right. really can't Another thing too is like the bar team, same same thing. They started off very um, novice. They didn't really know what they were doing, and they built each other up. And now they're great. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. No, no, you go. Um, uh, you got you to give credit to some of the great neighborhood bars. I mean, like Sportsman's Club, um, Ludlow Liquors. Uh, those 
those kind of bars are like neon wilderness. These bars are very like you get off work, you want to be in a shot, you want to see your friends. I mean, right. you could not. Sportsman's Club, I think, is the you know the biggest one. It's like you know you go in, you don't have to tell anyone you're coming, and you're going to see five of your friends there every night. Um, right. So that's kind so of like an like an industry bar, like where where you guys from the industry go. To yeah, hands down. And, and yeah. the the greatest thing about that bar is that you know a lot of the bartenders there, you know, they're they. They do it either part-time and they work somewhere else, but at the same time, it's like, you can get a really good cocktail there. They usually have, like, daily cocktails on the menu, but you could also just get, you know, a highlight from a shot of Malloy, right? You know, right. that's a, a very Chicago staple. There's a bar that I went to there. Uh, my old boss at uh, Ethel's Lounge, uh, who was actually on guest on the show, a two-part episode, Glenn Smith, he he and I went to Chicago because he's, he, he's there several times, and he wanted to give me his, like, dive bar um, sort of pub crawl. Uh, there yeah. was this bar that we went to. I don't know if you'll know it, but um, it was I pretty was very close to Hyde Park, and uh, it had uh, it had like a parking lot on the roof of it, and it was, yeah. but it was just like, but not like, not it wasn't like a parking complex. It was just like they had like parking spaces on the <laughs> roof, and uh, it was really weird. But it was like a complete dive bar, but it was awesome. Uh, and then I went I, before we went to. Um, to open my uh, my present bar, which is a speakeasy, we, we went to do a little bit of speakeasy tour around New York, Chicago, yeah. Toronto, and went to the Violet Hour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that place is pretty Hair dope. Bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bar. Another yeah. good one, too, that if you ever come back to Chicago, you've got to go to a stereo. Um, it's, a, it's like a triangle bar, which is really interesting, but they have, like, garage doors that open. But the best thing about that bar, it's, I mean, the kind of the theme is... Uh, a lot of like Latin spirits, um, like a lot of agave, one of the biggest mezcal fortunes in the city. But it's just a good party. Like you go there, same thing. It's like great drinks, super refreshing. Most of them are on tap. Michael Rubel, who opened the Violet Hour, he's a partner and bar manager at Asterio, and he just always has like a Latin DJ always playing. Um, Chicago has, of course, like a huge Puerto Rican and Mexican culture mm-hmm. behind its city, and so it shows a lot of support in that. Um, and uh, hands down, great bar. Uh, but no, the Violet Hour too. Like, it's a bar, of course, that's been around, built a lot of people up to do amazing things, and and still holds that you know accountability. So, mm-hmm. love it. Do you um, do you have like a go to cocktail that you would uh, that you would like test a bartender on if you're going to? Yeah, you know, I I don't know if you can relate to this, but I always you know I always give the menu a try. You know, wherever sure. I'm at, yeah. you know, you gotta you, you gotta give something to the accords of what they're trying. But if it's just like a a call bar or you know like uh something like attaboy where they just kind of ask you to make something i just love an old pal you know i like yeah something to the variation of that like i like something stirred and bitter and dry and something kind of sip on um I, I i think as i get older i can't drink as many daiquiris as i thought i used to uh, <laughs> yeah like, too much sugar man <laughs> yeah you know it's like i back in the day you know you could go to you know any tiki bar and drink three or four of them and still feel fine but like I have more than one daiquiri. I don't feel very great. So. No, I, fu- I, you know, I fucking love tiki bars, but like, I can't do them anymore, man. I can't like, hang, man. T- <laughs> I can't. It's, it's high alcohol content and high sugar sure. content. It's like a, it's like a hangover in a glass. It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, and you're trying to even like enjoy it. You'll drink like nine glasses of water and one yeah. tiki cocktail, and you're just like, oh, what's the point now? <laughs> yeah, hundred uh, percent. That's um. I, I, you brought up an interesting point about um, trying the cocktails on like the, on their list because uh, I've, I've noticed a real trend. I don't know if it happens there, but certainly in my city, there's a real trend towards like guests who come in and they almost on purpose refuse to t- try something on your list. Like you might try yeah. and suggest something that they would like. And it's like, no, I don't want that. I want something like a, and, and it'll either be like a classic cocktail or it'll be like, I want you to make me something special. For like, sure. Yeah, have you noticed that trend there in Chicago as well? One hundred percent. You know, I think that there's it's like a twofold. There's like trend, like drinks that are trending that have been trending. I'm sure you can relate to this for the last like ten years. Like to this day, I I can't believe people are still asking for skinny margaritas. But people, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. and by all means, I'm not trying to like make the guests feel bad for what they're ordering because no, they it's just, okay. You can do that here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they think they think they you know they hear something like oh you know a margarita less sugar, but every time. I, you know, every time that someone comes and asks me for a skinny margarita, I'm like, sure. You know, I just make them a regular margarita bit. Yeah, you know, it's they like, fucking know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they don't know. <laughs> uh, but you know, in the realms of like asking for, we call it like dealers' choices. Yeah, that happens yeah. all the time. I think that like 
once you build the confidence for a guest, they they love that like personability. And I think that that kind of ties back into the like, you know, another second coming of speakeasies. Cause I know that you could again, you as an owner of a speakeasy, mm-hmm. not saying that they aren't super successful and super busy, but like there's a point in time in which like bartending came in and a lot of, you know, bartenders made, you know, came and did the whole speakeasy vibe. People loved it. But then a lot of bartenders cared more about them and the drinks than the people. And then mm-hmm. they, those people were like, oh, you know, these bartenders are assholes and right. call themselves fucking mixologists. And, you know, and I hate that word. It's like they forgot to bartend for people. And so I know that we're kind of like going full circle and coming back. But, you know, I think that that kind of attention to detail or service will is always going to be around and people will always love it. You know, yeah, I I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think I, I we we said it on this show several times, but like at the end of the day, we all we all need to get over ourselves a little bit. I don't know when bartending went from like giving the guest a great experience to some sort of high art form where they're supposed to just stare at you. You know what right. I mean? Like we're not. Yeah. It's not a show, man. Like <laughs> I can't. Like I always try and tell like any of my staff who started to get like a big head or whatever it would just be like. You know what? You may, this is what you, your job is. You fucking make drinks and you bring them to tables. Calm down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a no. noble it's a noble profession, but let's not. We're not splitting the atom. For <laughs> sure, and we're also just supposed to be there for people to kind of decompress. We're supposed to be like the the the, the person that kind of just makes make everyone feel good. And I like that. Like, if the drink is even good, that like immediately kills the vibe. It's like if I go in and the bartender has this like. I know what I'm doing. Or I'm, you know, I got this, like, I just can't. And you can still, here's the thing. You can still have classic, great technique and, you know, be proper or however you want to do it. But there, if you can't be nice to people, if you can't fucking serve more than two people at one time, what are you doing? Yeah. That's the two <laughs> things, right? Like, exactly. Like, our, <laughs> our job is to give the guests a great experience and a lot of that is your inter- personal interaction with them but then also like you said get the fucking drinks out in a timely yeah. manner like yeah. people like do your shit <laughs> we have we have a bar in toronto i don't need to mention the name but like they're very big into the whole mixologist thing yeah. and like i swear to god like i got a drink there it was great but I like I wanted to get drunk and I was not quite. Yeah. I, it was impossible to do there because you right. you're waiting 25 minutes for each drink you order yeah. and it's like fuck man like right, I'm trying to get I'm trying to get my ass drunk here. <laughs> Here's the thing too, and I, I kind of ties into this is that you know there's a lot of bartenders out there that are only there for other bartenders, and it's mm, like or yeah. other people in the industry. You know, it's like I think there, in Chicago is kind of guilty of that. You know, I see it a lot, and I see a lot of bar teams do that where they're like. You know, you have a lot of these neighborhood bars and the industry bars, but the second you bring someone on industry, they're just, they just shut off. They don't care. They don't give them any benefit of the day. And it's like, that's the one thing that makes me more angry too. It's just that like, they're good bartenders, they're good bartenders for other people, but I'm not here to like, then bring my friends here because it's like, you have to see my face first. Like, it's like hard to suggest, you know, like, Oh, where should I go when I come to Chicago? I was like, well, I mean, I can bring you to places, then you'll get better time. But you know, yeah, um, yeah, that's shitty. Yeah, I, and I know that that is definitely a thing. It can easily become a thing. It's like you're just trying to show off for other people who yeah. do the same job as you. That's yeah. kind of crazy. Um, what do you think goes into crafting a good cocktail list? You know, I, I think you got to give, you always have to give like uh, a tip of the hat to some of the classics. You know, I think that you, we, we have a, uh, an industry based on, you know, cocktails that were derived back in the day. And I'm sure their you know, recipes are a little different than our palates are today. But I think you just have to always give um, some sort of uh, reference to that, you know. And you could do it in your own way. I don't think you need to name many, you know, cocktails um, from the classics. Do however you'd like. At least use that as a strong basis of it for people to understand. But I think, you know, overall on your menu, I think you should be versatile. You know, you should have things that simple not simple but like um constructively that are like that makes sense so like for example at bad hunter we had like you know i know spritzes are still kind of on that trend but we had a you know a small spritz menu had like seven cocktails on the regular menu with a couple non-alcoholics and then of course your beer and wine i think that like that's you know i think that if you're comprehensive and targeting at least a little bit for everyone because they know Mm -hmm. that like you know, definitely with more legalization of weed, people drink less and, and or don't drink at all. Right. And in general, too, you know, I think right. that we can all agree there's been a certain time of 
just less drinking of alcohol at our cocktail bars or just in general like yeah it's a big trend people are really into the mocktails now we had yeah. to do a whole list like and, yeah. and now it's like we're kind of into it like it's kind of one of our things now is like yeah yeah and um my head bartender came up with an amazing mocktail list and then he just adds like suggested liquor pairings to each um cocktail i've it's seen like, so many of that it's amazing yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's perfect, man, because it's also it's also great financially for the bar because if they add that right. extra liquor, it's like all of a sudden you go from like a $10 mocktail to like an $18 drink. And it's like, for sure. Yeah. Well, you like tie, you can tie in back of, you know, we were talking about the kitchen and the bar, you know, if any kitchen's got some waste or things that they're getting rid of, turn that shit into a syrup and then put it on your non-alcoholic list. Like mm. that's what we used to do. We honestly would just use scraps of things, make them, build them in a way that made sense like a cocktail. And we would put it on draft as a non-alcoholic option. We just called it like, uh, you know, like a daily breeze or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it would literally just, you know, and I know that like CBD, of course, is like making a small introduction to the cocktails and of course is as well trendy. But, you know, I, I think you just, you gotta, you gotta, in the realms of also giving a, a tip of the hat to the classics, I think that you also have to kind of listen to the trends that are happening now. I don't think you have to like full, like dive right all the way in there, but right. it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to like, I mean, again, it's trending for a reason. Mm-hmm. You want people to come into your building. You want people to be excited, whether they're going to Instagram the drink 20 times before they drink it. Like, <laughs> it's still, it's still, it's like free publicity. So, like, you know, I, we didn't, we didn't do CBD at Bad Hunter, but I think one thing that we did do that was like building on the trend again was like, um, we did like large format punches, um, and so we did like large format cocktails that people could share. And that's the thing is like you put anything like in a large vessel, you put some colorful straws and some crazy flower garnish and whatever, and people loved it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I think you just got to build on the trend. But I think I answered like, yeah, I think that's how I would build a menu. It's like, yeah. I also I also think, too, you got to think of where you're at, what city, you know, what the neighborhood is like around you. Mm-hmm. Because if you go right in and dive into like, I'm going to be, you know, a, this like, like we talked about like this crazy mixologist cocktail bar in the middle of like a, a baseball town neighborhood. It's like, you can't just go right in there and do that. I mean, right. you could maybe, but I mean, you gotta, you gotta listen to your, the people that are going to probably be your regular business. And that's the people that are going to be closest to you. Yeah. It's hard. Like I, I, you, you do have to target your audience, but then also one of the ways to make money is to open up a new concept in a in a place that doesn't yeah. have that. But then it's it can be a struggle. Like the happy medium, yeah. Yeah, like it's really sometimes it's really hard to get people's head heads around. Like I I opened the, the, my first bar was one of the first, if not the first, like cocktail style lounge in our town. And mm-hmm. like just getting people's head around that, like yeah, you're gonna pay like fifteen to twenty dollars for a drink and. At, at, at when everyone else is just serving like five dollar beer and whatever right. it's like it's, it was it was hard to get it across but you just got to be patient i guess and no i, I think it, it's like one of those things like you're investing in not only that area of town but in yourselves and your concept because it's the thing is, is like the violet hour is a good example they opened i think a little over 12 years ago and they were the only cocktail bar around that neighborhood and i'm sure at first when they started they got a lot of like like what are you doing here like this is like wicker park that area was an old school like a lot of punk neighborhoods. Like it was like you're just gonna open this fancy cocktail bar in a place that's not gonna fit. Yeah. Yeah. So you're gonna have to hold it out, you know, try to like see what, what will happen in, in, with time and, you know, but yeah. Yeah, I know. I I the, the, I was lucky in that that we had a really lo- good location for that spot, but it was also so I think something that helped, and you, I, you can tell me if you agree with this is sometimes if you're doing a fresh new concept, it helps to have a, like a very small space. Because sure. you don't need a whole lot of people oh to God, make it yeah. busy, right? <laughs> like, well, I think that, uh, again, like uh, another thing that's going to happen, it's kind of already happening during, you know, the pandemic is a lot of people are doing like their pop-up ideas and pop-up concepts. Mm-hmm. And it's like two or three people that are like making food out of their kitchen, but like maybe partnering with a restaurant to just like not only show business for that restaurant, but, you know, I don't know, like just to kind of show their concept. And coming coming from this, I think that a lot of places are going to open or going to be very small and make sure that they can pay their rent. And, you know, because I think it's like if this degree or something to this degree happens again, it's like you kind of just want to be smart and safe. But I mean, again, like me and two other buddies that uh, I used to work at about Hunter, we're trying to do this like cocktails on the like delivery service. But we're kind of doing it on the table, to be honest with you. Like we're I mean, we're doing it very not legal yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. it's like uh i mean we, we were just trying to one we're just trying to stay busy and keep the brain busy but at the same time too it's like 
I'm here to support all the local restaurants and bars as much as I can, but there is no, there is no way of getting caught. Like people can do cocktails to go, but there's no legal way of getting cocktails to go to people. You have to go pick them up. So we were just trying to be a service to make our own drinks, bottle them and then deliver them to people. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll see. That's, uh, I want, I want to get dig deeper into that, but I just, while we're, before we get off, um, bad hunter, what, uh, I just want to, cause I, I obviously never going to get a chance to go to this bar. So like, uh, uh, what, uh, talk to me about like what area of the city it was in, what, like what size were you, what capacity? Sure. So we were in the West loop, which is a very, like, I, I think one of the biggest trending neighborhoods in Chicago, um, like 10 years ago, it was only a few restaurants, um, like some big ones like the publican and a vec and uh girl and the goat um stephanie Iser, you know everyone hears her name and pops yeah. up but um in the last two to three years it's definitely been like huge hotels hotel nobu just opened up over there um the hoxton just opened up over there and so now it is definitely like the trendy neighborhood um bad hunter specifically we had two floors and it was a big reason why we were like we could fund our restaurant and bars upstairs of our restaurant was an event space and it fit like 150 people standing comfortably. Oh, and wow. so we were doing weddings, um, private events, uh, anything you could think of. And we were, there was a time right before the pandemic, we were having like four or five events a week. And it was like super steady income to kind of fund. Also too, to kind of give us a little bit of wiggle room on the main floor. Mm-hmm. So the main floor uh, in capacity was uh, just shy of 75 um, seated. Uh, and then there was a, 12 bar seats with a, like a small like communal table in between there so you can like the bartenders can like have an extension of the bar be able to walk in people that have walk-ins or just want to sit for a drink there's like a little table there um but yeah i mean again it's like that neighborhood is just super trendy at the moment there's a lot of like if you think any big restaurants or you're coming in for the food for chicago they're probably in the west league mm. Interesting. And uh, how do you, uh, were you, were you chiefly on the main floor or would you work some of these events sometimes? Oh yeah. I mean, so our staff for both, for both floors was just the, you know, the bad hunter staff. So, you know, the bar team would, would just get extra shifts upstairs and it was a great because it's like a lot of people, you have one shift upstairs and you know, your week is pretty good. The money upstairs for any event was always amazing. Cause you know, of course, like you have gratuity that's already kind of accounted for. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, we would just try to do our best to incorporate the staff and everyone kind of get fair, um, shifts upstairs. Um, uh, yeah, pretty equal. Yeah. How do you, how do you like the crowd at those events, like weddings, et cetera? Like, is I that, mean, of course, so like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that you get a lot of people who are just traveling to the city for the event, especially the weddings. Like it's always like, you can feel the energy from like your first round of drinks when they first mm-hmm. come. Cause you do the ceremony, you do the thing. And then once the curtains open, they come to the bar. Mm-hmm. I always can like gauge of like how the first round of people, like how they are, like how the rest of the evening or how the rest of the wedding yeah. goes. And then I'll like clocking on. I think, you know, you, you, you told me you've done probably every position in the industry possible. Mm-hmm. So like I used to work at a college bar, like a hot, very, very high volume college bar. We were like four deep all the time. And, you know, I got snapped, fucking spit on like, so it, you know, all that stuff. It's like, working upstairs is like a breeze. They just got to turn a different brain on. It's like, all right, we're working like a high volume bar and I'm not going to really talk to you a lot. I'm just going to get your drinks really fast. So you leave me alone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but you know, once in a while you get a lot of, not, you know, it's, it's pretty even, but you get a lot of great people up there too. who Just understand the industry. And I think like Chicago too, like if they're local, like they live here, they understand that like, you know, I got to give a little bit of hospitality back to these people who are giving me hospitality. Uh, but the same shit can happen on the main floor too. You know, sure. we're right next to a place called Oshawa and people will wait three hours for this burger. And it's a great burger. It's fucking amazing. I just can't wait three hours for any kind of meal. No, so people will the do is they'll put their name in the hat for Oshawa and then they'll come next door. And I already can tell like, Oh, you're waiting for Oshawa. And so I usually give them tips of like what to order. Cause again, it's like, I don't care that you're waiting for a good burger. Like, I want you to come get drunk here first. Uh, (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, it's just like that shit can happen anywhere. I think though that I would say the last year, year and a half though, we, we had a lot of just amazing people come in the restaurant. I didn't really have to deal with, I mean, maybe just because of how the neighborhood changed, but I really had to deal with a lot of rifts like in that neighborhood. It was really, really well done. Yeah. Um, and you guys got voted best restaurant bar by Time Out. Time Out's what, like a local uh, magazine? 
Yeah, yeah. So they have a timeout in certain regions uh, like New York and L.A. And, and I think it's major metropolitan cities, but don't quote me on that. But okay. again, not from here. But yeah, so basically they have awards, um, you know, like best restaurant bar, best cocktail bar, um, you know, and, and whatnot. So, yeah, a couple of years ago, we ended up winning the yeah, the, uh, best restaurant bar, which is which is great because it's like we, you know, we, we've been working hard, you know, trying to kind of do something different. And yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so you worked at another place, Punch. Is this around the same time or right kind of right before everything shut down? I'm sorry. You worked at this place, Punch? No. Oh, no. So I, I didn't work at, at Punch. Um, the I actually, I might have error on my part, but I ended up working at a place called The Drinking Bird right before uh, Bad Hunter. Um, because when I moved here, uh, it was kind of some off timing uh, and whatnot. And, you know, when a place says they're going to open, oh, you know, anything, <laughs> anything, yeah, right? Anything can yeah. fucking delay that opening yeah, yeah. months. Uh, so I worked at a place which was coincidentally next to another place that people would wait three hours for food for. But it was like Pequod's Pizza. It's like, you know, you think Chicago, you know, like deep dish. Like yeah. people would, I mean, it wasn't three hours. It wasn't as long of a wait because they were a bigger space. But people would wait like an hour and a half, two hours for Pequod's as well. And it's like, again, good pizza. But like, what are you waiting for? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, no, I don't no. know. Like, There's better things to do in life than wait in line. Yeah. Right? I can't. Yeah. I'm, I don't want to say that like I'm too good for lines, but I'm too good for lines. You know, I just I'm, I'm too good for lines. My wife so gives fine. me shit about it all the time. She's like, "Oh no, <laughs> Kip doesn't wait in lines." I'm like, oh, yeah. "Fucking, I got, I'm getting old, man. I don't have time for that shit." Yeah. I'm just trying to take advantage. Also, like you got to target it right. Like what you should do is like maybe get that right when they open. Then you don't have to wait in line. Yeah, that's right. yeah, exactly. Right? If it means that much to you, just show up right. earlier. <laughs> um, so, and what kind of a place was that? Uh, it was a cocktail bar. It was like. Uh, it was a little more like around the neighborhood cocktail bars. So, I mean, it's, uh, I think that, that space too. I mean, we definitely showed a lot of people some great things as well, but we kind of had like a, you know, definitely bar snacks. Um, we wanted, we definitely took advantage of being like the waiting room for this pizza place. So, uh, we had like wide open doors and a pool table in the back. I mean, it was, we wanted to make it a little more of a casual feel. You go in, mm-hmm. whether you're waiting for pizza or you just want a few drinks, like, uh, the greatest thing about it too is like everyone from that pizza joint when they got off work because they closed a couple hours before we did would just come over. So it was like, if even if you had no one show up before they did, your night was great. Right. So. Yeah, it's a hundred dollar hour when the industry people come in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love great. it. Yeah, it's the best. I don't know that it's and every bar tries to draw this industry crowd and like make yeah. industry nights and shit, but you, there's no. It, like in yeah. oh, this is my opinion, but like you tell me if you agree. I don't feel like there's any way to 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 build it if you're trying to do it on purpose. It has to happen no, organically. I don't know. It definitely yeah. has to happen organically. You, I mean, the thing is, is you just have to give a place, and it could be proximity. Could be the answer, but like, yeah, you got you you just gotta have a place. When I get off work, I just I just want a place to relax, you know. Like, and I think that's the thing is like. You're right. You know, you have a lot of people who come to your bar and it's like, you guys do industry discounts? It's like, uh, you're fuck off. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're already asking for things that are free just because you started waiting tables. Like, yeah. You, you know what you know, I always said was the sign that you're not, you're about to get a shitty tip is when somebody says, well, I used to work in the industry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's when they leave yeah, with that. Yeah. I'm like, well, this tip's going to suck. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. Yeah, I just yeah. can't. Yeah. I, yeah. I think so, too. It's like, you know, when you when you what you're trying to attract is as well again like a similar home or just like a home feel because most people who come to your bar on their way home just didn't want to go home because you know whether they want to decompress from their shift or whatnot so you just yeah you just gotta have a find a place that people just want to do that at. and that you're right that just happens organically most often than not it's the dive bar next door where the bartender has been doing it for like 40 years mm. who yells at you yeah. and <laughs> will give you a discount but you know like I love it like there's this bar called Stella's and I, I her her name is Stella. She'd been there for like 40 years and could God give a fuck about what you want, but she just go in, you know, she just kind of points at you and like, can I have two, two beers and a shot? And she gives it to you and just tells you a number. I mean, it's yeah. a great spot in the world. <laughs> well, and the funny thing too, is like for the places that we like, like I'm, I'm getting too fucking old to go out after work anymore. Plus my bar's open till the last call. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, the, um, so we became, we end up getting a lot of industry people just for that reason. I mean, sometimes that's the answer too. How late are you open, right? Like, right. yeah. Um, but the, but yeah, like sometimes, 
it's it's kind of like you know if you're a chef when you get home from work like you're not making yourself elaborate fucking gourmet meals you're like you're uh, boiling up a pot of craft dinner or some shit like that right but like right. if so for us as bartenders people work in the industry like i'm not looking for a a six-step cocktail when I get off work at, or like yeah. I go to a bar. I'm like, yeah. I, I already know what I want to drink. Like, it's, yeah. it's gonna, I'm gonna drink a beer or a glass of wine or something like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I'm not. Yeah, like we, we're not looking for that kind of bar. So, like, the 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 bars that tend to get the industry crowd are often the most simple kinds of bars. For sure, and that's the, the thing is, is too. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I'm a I'm a creature of habit. It's like I just want a beer and a sh- usually a shot of whiskey. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like. It, 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 I think that is just like a way of also too that like the shift is over and kind of ties back into like how I like to work is like, uh, I'm not a micromanager. Like, uh, you know, I don't like to tell you what you're doing when you're doing at work. Like that's for the after shift. Like once the shift's over and we like go for our beer and a shot next door, then I might rip into you and be like, yo, you left me in the fucking weeds for like three hours. Like what the fuck were you doing? Like mm-hmm. you just let me high, you know, high and dry the whole time. Like it's like, that's like kind of the thing is too, is like, it's a good way to like, I don't know, for me, it's like that post shift is like, a, it's some of the best moments I've ever had, but it's like, not only like for like team building and morale building, but I think that's a really good time where you get to know your, the people that are sitting right next to you, mm-hmm. you know, cause you don't really get to do that too much while you're working because you're so focused on the people in front of you, hopefully. And then yeah. you don't really do it before because you're just trying to live another life, your actual life. Yeah. So when you get done with work is like maybe the best time to get to know people. And so I think that is like, what I loved about it. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and at that point, too, you're, like, you're just done talking to strangers, too, right? So yeah. people, Yeah, I find, like, I just so, like, well, at the time my work week ends, it's just so hard for anyone to get a word out of me for, like, the whole first day that I'm off, like, you know? Yeah, I think I'm, that's a lot of, uh, one of the things that I think that a lot of people who don't work in the service industry don't really understand or realize. It's, like, that we spend, like, our entire week talking to strangers, you know, yeah. as part of our job. Like it's, it's mentally exhausting. For sure. Especially if you're having to say like this, roughly the same, you know, sentences over and over and over. Yeah, and over. that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about what you're getting into now. Uh, like you mentioned the cocktails on the go program, like talk yeah. to us a little bit about this new initiative. What, like, what do you foresee for it? What's the For goal? sure. So we, we kind of have like, again, like me and the, the same two other bartenders that you know, that I used to work with, we, we were like, what's next for us? Cause of course our bars shut down. Like we didn't really know what we wanted to do, but you know, usually great ideas happen, you know, when you're drinking. So we yeah, were just, yeah. we were getting pretty drunk one night. Kind well, of not just, for me, but I'm glad that happens. To you. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like reliving the tales of what happened to your bar and some of the like highs and lows of what are happening. And, you know, we, I don't know how we got really on the conversation, but we were with people who are not in the industry and they were like, you know, like, man, I would kill for like a cocktail from you guys, you know, here. And he was like, well, you can get cocktails to go, you know, there's plenty of cocktails to go, but just can't really get them delivered. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Jimmy John sandwich. Well, I am, in fact, yeah. <laughs> uh, so like the delivery method is like, I want a sandwich in your hand in 15 to 20 minutes. And I was like, what if you could do that with drinks? Mm. And so it just literally stemmed from that. We just kept, we just kept like, you know, spitballing, like, how could we get cocktails to go? Like, what was the process of getting drinks to go? Whether we made them simple or whether we would just, like, open the floodgates and be like, yes, you can have a vodka soda to go. I'll get it to you in 20 minutes. Um, of course, developed a little further, but um, we were we didn't really put a name to it. But most recently, maybe a couple of weeks ago, we decided to name it Hello Cocktails. And the only reason why we wanted to name it is, like, we wanted to figure out how to label these drinks. And we kept thinking of the, you know, when you go to like an event or whatever, you got those name tags that say, hello, my name is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so we wanted to get a little cute and kitschy with it. And we were just like, what if we just like, hello, my name is in the name of the cocktail. Oh, yeah, that's um, a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and so one of my, my friends, he's like uh, done graphic design before, uh, kind of drew up some imagery. And then, you know, literally like three days ago, we did some R&D at the house. But yeah, I mean, we're, what we try to do is uh, probably like the third to fourth week of September is we're going to have like a, you know, like a very limited menu, like four cocktails, one non-alcoholic. You kind of only ha- you can only order four drinks at a time. There's kind of like a little logistics here and there, but the goal is to get drinks in your hands super fast. And we're definitely gonna just go for our friends and our friend groups first, mm-hmm. and um, kind of just target the friends of friends before we kind of do anything bigger because it's just the three of us. 
but yeah, we're just going to kind of open the delivery window Wednesday through Saturday. Uh, we'll you know put the menu out on our Instagram or WhatsApp on Monday. Uh, and you kind of, you buy your cocktails, like most people buy their weed. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. you get a menu, you get a yeah. menu and then you, you figure out what you want it when you want to buy and we'll get it to your door. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, yeah, it's goal, a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the goal of it at the end is to kind of, to build, to build it up to, you know, like, and it is a great service. I think not only the pandemic has shown, but I think that, um, that Americans want, not Americans, but everyone wants things faster and i think they think they want like you know readily available and i think that the speed of service you with anything not even just cocktails is is becoming faster and more you know technologically advanced so i'm just trying to get ahead of the curve and be like how can i get drinks to you as fast as possible so just for the logistics of this like you said there's only three of you right three yeah yeah three of you so like how like what's the method of delivery you just pop in your car and take it to somebody's house yeah so uh you know two of them are going to go via bike um uh and then i'm going to do via car and i think that we'll have a radius on which we we can only deliver to um we'll do a few exceptions for certain friends and and then again it's like you know what we want to do is we want if between wednesday and saturday like if you're a no if you're just a friend of a friend like i don't know you you hit, hit me up and like, I like these drinks and, you know, I want to be able to get those people as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, it's like, we're not going to advertise like 15 to 20 minutes, but literally we're going to try to advertise as fast as possible. And so right, we just want right. to be able to get, you know, whether, you know, we'll have a service in which all three of us can see the delivery order. And then we all just, one of us accepts it and then we just do our best. So I think what we're going to first do is like day one, Monday's production day, kind of batch everything out, kind of streamline things like we did back at Bad Hunter you know, do our syrups, do our, you know, stocks and whatnot, and then batch the cocktails. And then Tuesday, what we want to do is bottle them. Uh, we're going to bottle them, carbonate them if we need to. And then um, we can kind of divvy out the amount to each person, you know, whether it's 50 per person. And then start the delivery. I mean, we'll try to get, or the goal is to try to sell your stock by the end of the week. But if you don't, we, we also, our recipes are based on things that can last a little longer than a week. So you don't use fresh juice. We don't do any of that because we want to be efficient on, on how our drink stays. So we kind of use, like, we're doing a lot of, like, tisane. We use a lot of tea. We use a lot of essence of flavors. So whether we're making, like, you know, like, I just put a whole bunch of lemon pith and some boiling water to get lemon. Like, that's kind of the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, you know how, like, LaCroix did for soda water. Like, we want things to be tasteful and fast and easy to drink. And we also, are, I don't, I'm not here to really, I don't want to over-intimidate the guests right now. There is a service happening in Chicago called Blue Blazer. It's actually uh, three people who have never been in the industry before, but they, they're like starting up a basically the Uber Eats of cocktails to go. So they're going to partner with a lot of bars and restaurants to be able to legally deliver their drinks. Uh, their lawyers are the people that are starting this company. So they found well, a loophole one, somehow. One thing I've... Uh discovered in my 30 years in the business is it really always works out great when people who have no service industry experience decide to right. open a service industry <laughs> business but again I, I have no ill will on that i just think it's like you know they want to deliver other people's drinks and i think that's really great because again it's like a way of platform to pe- for other people to get and get their drinks out Especially well, I, it could the, actually it could actually help you, Richard, because honestly, yeah. if something if something like that exists, like that's great. Then it gets people's minds out there. It's like, oh, we don't necessarily need to go to the bar. We'll just have the cocktails delivered to us. Yeah. And then what you're doing is completely different because you're you're delivering like specific your cocktails to them. So that, that you're taking that like sort of Uber Eats idea and like and expanding exactly. it into like a more like uh, like like raising the bar on it. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is it's like you know. I, I'm, I'm trying to be there to just make sure that people get their drinks as fast as possible. You know, it's like, I want, I want you to also support, continue supporting. But I think this service even post, post the pandemic, you know, when things are a little more normal, some people also just like, don't go out to bars as late. So I want it mm-hmm. like, if this continues to kind of flourish, I want this to be a platform. Like, let's say you're done with the bars at 10 PM and you know, it's a delivery day and I, we, we're growing and I can hire someone like, that's willing to deliver later. Or I'll do it myself. It's like, you know, you order some drinks, like you order pizza, do you be at your house by the time you and your friends want like your nightcap? You just yeah, 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 yeah. So you're leaving the bar and you're just like ordering. So the drinks are there when you get there. That's, yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah, I think that could work for you. That's great. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing too. Like, um, 
I mean, everybody, everybody's been in this situation where they were at a bar and they decided they wanted to go home and keep the party going with their friends, but they forgot, they didn't realize that that was going to be how their night went and they forgot to stock up on booze before, uh, before they went into the bar that night. Right. So like if you're delivering cocktails for them, that's perfect. And it's like higher end shit too. Like it's not Mm -hmm. just like a case of Miller Lite or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to try to do our best in doing that. We're definitely going to have a lot of, uh, hurdles along the way, but we'll see what we can do until then, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, like uh, the one thing I know is that we all, uh, everybody who's in this business has to get pretty creative these days. So <laughs> I wish you yeah. the best of luck in that, man. It sounds like a great idea. And I think you're probably going to be pretty successful. It's, uh, oh, it's good, man. Uh, how do, yeah. How do we, um, is there a way we can plug the business? Uh, like, do you have a social um, media? We're still, of course, there's still a lot of, we're still in like the growing, um, kind of of everything, you know, I've got, I've got an Instagram, but there's not a lot of content on there. Uh, but you know, I'll, I'll definitely just share the stuff with you guys and, and maybe a little blurb from us and whatever you can do. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, but I appreciate yeah. any help, you know, even just doing this is like telling people what, what the business is about and what I can do, you know, that's great, you know, in general. So, yeah, well, that's great, man. Thanks for doing the show. We appreciate it. Uh, course, yeah. And, and I wish you all the best with the new business. And uh, next time in Chicago, uh, you can, uh, I'll DM you and you can tell me where I should be drinking. Yeah, man. Okay. Love to have a drink with you. All Cheers right. Thank, thanks, Richard. Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you.